Are you ready? We ready. We ready. We ready for y'all. Welcome to my podcast. We ready. The story of an inner city high school football coach and his attempt to affect the lives of young men in a positive way while at the same time raising a family. It's game day. It's Friday the 13th. Oh, am I superstitious. I'm going to have to break out the Vegas gold coaching shoes tonight. Who remembers those out there? I save them for special occasions for the biggest of ball games. Tonight, your goalbacks advance to the state tournament after last week's 42 to nothing win over the arch rival Crusaders from Monroe for the Section 9 chip. In today's episode, I'll be talking about my views in developing a culture for your program. But first, some reflection from this past week. It's been an historical, a crazy past week as we experienced the presidential election. And all that that entails as we're still trying to figure things out. An uptick in the spread of the coronavirus. As we're still dealing with many, many issues in our country right now. There's a cloud over our great nation. And I pray to God that that cloud is lifted And this past week, we celebrated Veterans Day. Thank you to all of those that served for the opportunities that we have, even during these uncertain times, would not be for us without you veterans out there. God bless you, and God bless America. So feedback... From last week's podcast. It started out very innocently. I got a text from someone very close to me. A former goalback. I won't mention who it was. Because I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass them. And actually they, they shouldn't be embarrassed. Because it was actually a compliment. About how the podcasts have been going. For the podcasts are about reminiscing, uh, kind of like a a soap opera almost, in that it's it's a weekly chronicle of of past goalback football events and some insights and and the idea behind this podcast was to 
make believe to fantasize about football on Fridays because we can't experience it here in New York. And so I got this text from a young man who is living out of state. So he is living a busy life and he probably doesn't recall or, or, or is paying attention to the fact that, you know, we can't play football right now. So fast forwarding to his question that he asked me, it was, so did the Goldbacks win last night? And so I said, yeah, yeah, we won 42 to nothing. We beat up the Crusaders. And he was like, oh, man, they got a good team. Now I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's just kind of playing along with this, with this fantasy script that we've been going on with this podcast and that now we're moving forward and and we're now 10-0. And, 0 and uh, he's like, okay, well, who do you have next week? And I'm like, well, we, we advanced to the state tournament. We're going to play New Rochelle. And um, so I'm starting to realize that, that he really believes that we're playing football and that we are really 10-0 which is not that big of a, a reach in real life, but, you know, it is right now during this pandemic. And um, so I say to him, listen, you do understand that we're really not playing football, that, that, that this is just like, I just, you know, I'm just making believe here, right, with these, with these football Fridays in terms of, you know, we beat Monroe. And uh, he was like, oh, I thought, I thought it was real. And... Uh, so that lead that led me to believe that led me to to think about my for those of you who know me my my perception and reality uh mantra you know so so I guess I was good enough to to fool at least one person and I'm thinking to myself you know um this whole thing you know about you know, fake news and what's real and what's not real. And, and you know, back in 1938, uh, this radio personality, Orson Welles, on Halloween Eve, he, he, he broadcast the famous War of the Worlds and, and there was terror and, and panic in the streets because he was trying to scare everybody. Of course, it wasn't real, but people that were listening, many of them thought it was real. And... It just reminded me of how fragile things are in our society in terms of, you know, what you can believe and, and, and what you can't believe. And, and, you know, just like just in advertising, you know, when, when you see a TV commercial, you see an ad in the paper and, you know, the way things are sold, you know, how great everything is. And, and you know, and, and then, you know, you read a label and it's supposed to be a healthy product and it, and in the and, and when you read the label, you see it's all sugar and it's all salt, but there's like a healthy person on the cover, and it says it's organic and it's healthy. And uh, I guess there's a point here. The point is, is that um, you know you 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 just have to always take things with a grain of salt, and and some things are are are, are uh, believable, and some things. You know, you, you, you just wonder. And um, 
my response to anybody out there who's listening to the podcast, I would just say that um, I hope that it's been entertaining and that um, everything that we're putting on here is is in good nature, and uh, I hope you're enjoying. Right now! Today's dedication, I dedicate this, episode 10 of 11, to my coaches and teammates from the 1976 varsity football team from Newburgh Free Academy. This team was my senior season I was 17 years old, and it was perhaps the greatest time in my life because I felt so fortunate to be a part of something special. That group of coaches and young men, my teammates, we learned about goldback pride, about bleeding blue and gold. We shared so many memories. I often gaze at our team picture and I think about my teammates, my coaches. Today I'd like to recognize first our coaching staff. Our head football coach, Mr. Charles Rip Fornell, the longest tenured coach in the history of Newburgh Free Academy football. I learned a lot from Ripper. Toughness, dedication, punctuality, organization, and winning. Thank you for everything, Coach. May you rest in peace. Rip's main assistant on that 1976 squad, a lifelong Newburger, Mr. Bob Ruckteschel. Bob succeeded Rip as the head football coach. Secondary coach, Mr. Sherman Memelar. May you rest in peace, coach. And last but not least, the fourth assistant on that squad, another lifelong Newberger, Mr. Ron Troncalli. Ron has been in my life not only as one of my high school football coaches, but for many years to follow. He's a great man, a man of God. Again, to all of my teammates, you hold a special place in my heart. I hope to hear from you at some point. I stay in contact with many of you. 
We've shared many experiences beyond the gridiron, beyond the classroom. We've spent many times together in the community, at weddings, at church, at funerals. For life continues as most of us now are in our 60s and we're in the fourth quarter of life. And especially during this pandemic, we've all had time to reminisce and think and appreciate and reach out to let each other know how special you are to each other, how special you are to me. I'd like to dedicate and reminisce, especially today, to our four fallen teammates from this squad. First, number 43, Harry Caston. He played general in our Okie defense. A Lake Street kid, one of my best friends, tough as nails. After high school, Harry went on to serve 20 years in the United States Marine Corps. He was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident with his wife, Linda. May you both rest in peace. Number 10, Ronnie Howe, our backup quarterback, always had a smile on his face. I can still see Ronnie whipping his head around to get those bangs out of his eyes. He was blessed with beautiful black hair, unlike many of us who don't have much left up on top. Number 33, defensive end, John Obermeyer, affectionately known as Obi. I had the pleasure to spend many times after high school with John. We would party together at the, the local pub on Liberty Street in downtown Newburgh, reminiscing about the days of old. May you rest in peace, brother. And number 42, another fallen teammate, member of our secondary. I also played high school baseball with him, Eddie Reitmeyer, a great young man left this earth way too soon. May you rest in peace, Eddie. To all of you listening, to all of you former goalbacks, no matter what squad you played on, your teammates and coaches will always be in your heart, will have a special place in your life. Today, my dedication to this 1976 Newburgh Free Academy varsity football team. I love every one of you. Go Goldbacks. Right now! (laughs) 
today's team meeting. Developing a culture that's consistent, that's positive, that gives you an opportunity to compete, while at the same time developing a tradition, an atmosphere in which your community can be proud, your school, your players, your administration, your coaches, their families, and building that culture and building that gold-backed nation, one that's important to all involved, First and foremost, in building a culture, football must be important to your community. It must be very important because football is unique in that there's so much preparation and there are so many participants and there's so much money involved in terms of the preparation, the cost of the equipment, the facilities, the salaries of the staff, the marching band, the trainers, the stadium upkeep, the concessions, the boosters clubs, Building a culture in which football is king in your community is not an arrogant thing. It's a necessity for football and its preparation to succeed requires cooperation from everyone in the school community. I learned a long time ago in sharing athletes that we as coaches, we certainly want to encourage our young men to participate in as many activities, whether they're athletics or whether they're in the debate team or the marching band or the chess club, whatever it is, we encourage I encourage, as the head football coach, a well-rounded student-athlete. But with that being said, there's only so many hours in a day in which to prepare for football, family, and faith. You know, we want our student-athletes to be students first and be well-rounded individuals. So the first thing in building a culture is finding ways to get others to buy into the importance of football, the year-long preparation, which is unique in that football, you play nine Friday nights in the fall with the hope that you're going to be 
eligible that you've earned the right to play more. But in that preparation, the 52 weeks to get ready, that grind is a necessity because our game has evolved. So in doing that, there must be cooperation between the coaches of other sports. If your program is going to be successful, you must get along and have a working agreement with the soccer coach, the basketball coach, the baseball coach, and the track coach, the wrestling coach, the hockey coach. Because with these shared athletes, there must be an agreement that, yes, we want our young men to participate in other activities, but they also need to get ready for the unique demands of the game of football. So in building a culture, a culture of cooperation and community, it's critical to have good relationships with the other coaches and to support their programs as well and to encourage them to be cooperative. There can't be hating. There can't be jealousy between programs. There must be gold-backed pride. And together, everyone is doing the right thing for the kids. In building a culture, a positive culture, football must be out in front. It must be the face of your school community. For those Friday nights in the fall are what we start the school year with. We set the tone for the school year. A winning program, a winning climate is important. And you do that with your football team. Filling those stands on a Friday night and getting everyone excited and putting a good product out in that field. That stimulates and that invigorates your community. In building a culture, it's important to get your, yourself on your school TV, giving public addresses, and letting your school community see your players, your leaders, getting out in the community and doing volunteer work, showing your community that you care, the soup kitchen, the coat drives, the parades, the pep rallies. That hardworking blue-collar culture that you exhibit in developing your culture goes a long way. We believed at Newburgh Free Academy as we developed our culture, one that was consistent that there were certain things we needed to do to develop that gold back pride, not only within our community, but within our team. And there are certain things that we did to develop that pride. And I'll share some of them with you today. Because people respected us and wanted to be a part of our program, wanted to be a part of something special, because they've heard the stories and the experiences of some of these culture-producing activities. One of them was our sleepaway camp that we would go to in late August. 
for that camp was a special thing, especially for the inner city young men to get out of the city of Newburgh and to go out into the country and spend a week where we were fellowshipping, eating meals together, hanging out together, swimming, hiking, doing a lot of fun things together while at the same time preparing for a vigorous football season. We would start the day with a 7 a.m. conditioning practice. And we'd go to breakfast. And you could see the young man just feeling fulfilled by, by getting through that first practice of the day. There would be four in each day. And they got through that first one and they made it. For that conditioning was a difficult task each, each morning at this camp. After breakfast, players would have some time to rest and to just share time together. They could go fishing. They could go swimming. They could just hang out. And then we'd practice. We would have an offensive practice in the morning. We'd break for lunch and give the players some more free time. And then we would go out to our evening practice. That would be a defensive practice. And then we'd eat dinner. And then we'd go out for our night practice under the lights. And then we'd have team meeting and film. And this long day, this day that went from 7 a.m., 6 o'clock wake-up call, 7 a.m. practice, and would end at 11 p.m., lights out. This was a culture-building experience for these young men, one that developed pride and unity and one that they will never forget. And they brought back to campus that attitude, that spirit of what it is to be a goalback football player. And they walked with their chest high with great discipline and great pride. Our leadership program, for which we taught leadership is the ability to affect positive change. Our leadership program was one that everyone had the ability to exhibit leadership. It wasn't by title, it was by example. And people were amazed outside of the program how disciplined and how gentlemanly we were as goalback football players. College football coaches, we had a great reputation with them our credibility was outstanding because a coach would come in and understand and know that our kids would be described in a realistic way. We wouldn't oversell our kids. We wouldn't, we wouldn't try to sell to a college coach something that wasn't true. We would only speak the truth and be objective with our players in trying to get them landed at, a, at an appropriate college, some of them possibly were scholarship-type players, but we were honest. 
We were honest with the coaches, and we were honest with our players. And that is a culture. That is a pride because we wouldn't give to someone something that they didn't earn. This college recruiting thing could be a whole podcast in itself and doing what's appropriate as opposed to what's popular is oftentimes the conversation with this college recruiting thing. But in the end, it's about the culture and an understanding and doing what's right. In our culture, we felt that it was important for others to understand that it, this football, this go-back football might not be for everybody. There was a certain toughness and discipline and dedication required. We had many activities both on and off the field that developed these qualities. You former players, you, you remember and you understand what it's like to be called out in the bull in the ring well, you're in the center of that ring where you can't hide. It's just you and your teammate. And it's survival of the fittest. And that reminds me of the story of the gladiator, the man in the arena story that you may have heard. For there are so many critics out there that have never played the game, have never been in the arena. It's easy for them to criticize and to judge. But it's only those that have been down and dirty in the trenches that understand what it what it's all about. So in building that culture and creating those experiences to be a part of something special and keeping it real and not being fake, not being bougie, but being a blue collar lunch pail member of a program that has a positive culture, a winning tradition. Sometimes we just need to conversate with one another. And in our culture, we would have times, we would have an activity called Bitch and Rose where we would just sit down at a team meeting or after practice on a knee and we would just say, okay, it's Bitch and Rose. Anybody up? Somebody would raise their hand and say, Coach, I got a bitch for Johnny Jones. And he would air his grievance with Johnny Jones, no matter what it was. Listen, Johnny, I saw you today in the hallway acting like a knucklehead. You represent us. You need to cut that out. Check yourself. Or... Somebody may say, Jimmy Smith, I've got a rose. I got a rose for you today. Hey, thanks a lot for loaning me $5. I need the gas in my car. I appreciate it. I'll pay you back next week when I get it. This bitch and rose session develops a culture, a realness, a pride in our team. It's something that we feel strongly about. And Goldback Nation.
our culture on game day, whether it's during the season or whether it's during a combine in the offseason, a strength and conditioning combine, a skill combine, or seven-on-seven, our culture is we're going to speak softly and carry a big stick. We're going to let our pads do the talking. We're going to play the game. We're going to respect the game. We're going to respect the officials. Just on a sidebar, over the years I've seen this seven-on-seven stuff develop. And I just think it's important, especially for some of the young coaches who are enamored by attending all these seven-on-seven tournaments and spending so much time with it, I would suggest to you that, A, that you make sure your kids have mouthpieces in their mouth and that I even suggest shoulder shockers and cups on our kids because they're running around with no helmets on, which I recommend helmets if you can get them uh, approved by your uh, – athletic commission by your high school athletic director. Um, but what these seven-on-sevens have, have done is they, they've got us into a lot of bad habits. You know, where the quarterbacks are, are giving free reads. Nobody's coming after them. You know, your 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 linebackers underneath, they're not stepping down, read and run, because there is no run, so they're automatically backing out and getting out until their pass drops. And, and, and offensively, we're sending, you know, five receivers out on every play, which is not realistic in high school football. It's not realistic in any football, um, you know, unless you're just, you know, doing a tremendous job with hot reads. And I've even seen some of these high schools have have uh, a center. And I recommend that you, that you always have a center to snap the ball in these seven-on-sevens and snap it the way you would in a shotgun and put somebody in the center's face and, and and make the center react to a to a defender. I recommend you do that. Don't waste don't waste the time of doing seven on seven and not getting your center ready and making it as real as possible. But I was watching a seven on seven not long ago and the center was snapping the ball uh and then he was going out for a pass and I'm saying, What are we doing? So anyway, that's my two cents on the seven on seven stuff. I would just close by telling a little story about building a culture and getting kids to push themselves, to buy in, to dig a little deeper, for they not often understood how much they had inside of them until they were pushed. And this dig a little deeper story, when I tell the kids, I I, I talk about the San Francisco 49ers because they can relate to football, you know, the NFL and the 49ers. And I would say, hey, guys, the San Francisco 49ers, do you know how they got their name? And, you know, nobody knows, you know, nobody no, You know, what is that? I never thought of it, coach. Well, in 1849, it was the great gold rush out west. And hence... In San Francisco, it was one of the major areas for which these miners traveled across the country in search of 
gold in search of fortune. So I tell the story about dig a little deeper because a lot of times there'd be these gold miners who were panning for gold in 1849. They didn't have all this high-tech stuff where they can, you know, like you see the guys at the beach looking for, for jewelry and change, you know, the, the these machines that can that make the buzzing sound and, and, the, and you find some gold and you make a fortune. They didn't have those back then. All they had was, was a pick and a shovel and they'd be digging where they thought the gold was. So there was this group of, of miners that lagged behind the major miners that would migrate further west each day. And these miners would be digging ditches, digging holes, looking for the gold. And while that was happening, this other group was resting and staying in the background until they've given up and moved further west. And then they would begin to dig in the same hole that the previous miners gave up on. And oftentimes they would find gold just by digging a little deeper into the holes that were already started by the preceding miners. And that's what I tell our kids. That's what, that's what the story is about. Oftentimes we dig and we scratch and we claw. And if we just keep digging a little deeper, we can get there. But if we give up too soon, we give someone else an opportunity. In next week's episode, the final episode of We Ready, episode 11, I will continue to share with you some of the feedback I've received over the last 10 weeks, as well as share with you my final season, my final win, and my final game as the head coach of the Goldbacks. I will also give you some insights as to what I believe are the three most important decisions one can make in their entire life and how those decisions affect every step we take in our walk. And if time allows, I will share with you a special surprise that many of our former players have been asking me for. Next week's episode will be published earlier than normal for I'll be laid up for a little bit. I'll be entering the hospital for surgery on Thursday, November 19th. I'll be there for a few days. So, Wish me luck. I thank you for listening. Have a safe week. God bless you. And go Goldbacks.